As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to The Big Football Show, a podcast from The Athletic about Big Ten football. I'm Mitch Sherman, joined by Scott Dockerman. Scott, the offseason is flying along. We are deep into spring football season and it's been a while since we've talked. Hope your 2021 is going well. Yeah, thanks. It is going well. It's been a Kind of a weird uh, couple of months, I would say, you know, in, in Iowa anyway, you know, basketball was the lead story for a few months there. Now we're back into spring football mode and voila, we actually have a spring football practice to watch, which is rare enough around here these days. And then let alone, it's been more than a couple, what, 18 months since I've seen a practice. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to actually get a chance to kind of watch some competition. Yeah, we've had some of the some of the same uh, drama in Lincoln. We got to see a bit of a practice in week two of the spring for Nebraska, and then this weekend, two weeks before the spring game, we're getting uh, an entire practice, and it's open to uh, to fans. So uh, definitely some some goodwill gestures taking place around some spots in the Big Ten. I did notice in in getting ready to to record this today that Penn State is entirely shut down this spring for fans and media, even the spring game and no TV. So I guess count your blessings here in uh, in Iowa City and Lincoln. Yeah, and I think Michigan's the same way, like not even media allowed. So it's, uh, yeah, there's it's certain spots where they're allowing uh, people. And luckily for us that we do get that kind of access and opportunity. And, and it's interesting always, spring games are just, there's, each spot has its own dynamic with spring game. I mean, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, it's always been, you know, a 15,000 range, something like that. Nebraska and Ohio State, it's 80,000, 90,000. It's just a, a different dynamic. But I'd expect a higher end of people in Iowa City than normal simply just because they get a chance to, you know, they didn't get a chance to see football last year, which I think, of course, that's the same way it is at Lincoln. Yeah, not going to be 90000 for the spring game in Lincoln this year, but they're aiming for 50%, so maybe $40,000. Uh, it will be interesting to see, and then just 4000 for the practice this weekend. 
But uh, even 4,000, I think, is going to seem like a lot of people inside a football stadium where we are here in, in April of 2021. So today on the show, we're going to get into buying and selling Big Ten football programs at this point in the offseason. We'll, we'll break the league down into several tiers and discuss. But first, we should, we need to make mention of the massive developments that occurred in college athletics this week. Scott, the the transfer era of college sports, I guess you can say, is officially open as if it wasn't already looking at the activity in the transfer portal from the last couple of years. But on Thursday, the NCAA Division I Council approved a one-time transfer allowance without penalty. So as of this upcoming school year in football and basketball, players may transfer anywhere, even within their leagues, without the approval of their coaches one time and gain immediate eligibility. My question for you in thinking about the Big Ten is who do you think this helps the most in the league? That's a great, that's a great question because I think it, it it's to varying degrees of all of every team. Um, I think it, you look at different tiers, like what we'll discuss on the buy or sell type of thing. If you're Ohio State and you feel like you're two players away, <laughs> and if you put the call out, uh, let's say right around bowl season, going, you know, next year we could really use a right tackle. Then, then you've got a bunch of right. people going ding, ding, ding. If you're Iowa and you notice that, hey, three out of my four starters on the defensive line are, are going to the NFL, okay. Um, or if you're Nebraska and you're one of your key playmakers decides to transfer to Kentucky, hey, all right, let's uh, saddle up if you're a Mac kid. So I think they can all be helped at different degrees. The, the scary part, I think, for any of these coaches, and it's always been this way in the Big Ten, which is why it was really punitive 10 years ago, and it's gradually gotten less so, is the is in-conference transfers. And yeah. it got really bad in basketball, frankly, with uh, Jared Utoff, and that's what prompted some changes, because when he went to go to from Wisconsin to Iowa in basketball, then Bo Ryan restricted him from 30 schools, including any in the Big Ten, ACC, Iowa State, Marquette, anybody in the region, and uh, that became and they th- and there were threatened lawsuits, and eventually it all kind of changed. But so that's the fear: is somebody's going to want to go from Michigan to Ohio State or from? Uh, but you know, hey, Iowa's lost a couple of guys to Nebraska recently. And I don't think that's the end of the world for, you know, if it helps one program, it's really all about the kids anyway. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't think it's a bad deal at all in football, basketball. We, we could go on and on about that one. Right. Uh, you mentioned Iowa to Nebraska and Oliver Martin and Ezra, Ezra Miller, um, two of the names that have stood out quite a bit this spring in Lincoln. So and I don't know that there's a whole lot of regret in Iowa City or, or hand-wringing, I should say, about that. They're, they're players that didn't work for Iowa. Uh, they're working at another school in the league. Now, if, if, um, if Martin ends up scoring a touchdown to beat Iowa, uh, that, <laughs> that's going to be uh, you know, a different situation, at least among the, the fans and the way that they feel about it. But I think those two guys, and there are, of course, other examples examples of players who have transferred within the conference, they do illustrate that this kind of a thing can work. It doesn't have to be a complete disaster when you open this thing up. I, I, the, the whole concept to me of recruiting off of other teams' rosters 
is is really going to be interesting. And you know how overt coaches are about saying, hey, we need a right tackle or we need a corner um, or, you know, even targeting specific players on rosters of other teams inside or outside of your conference, you know, whether it's like uh, subtweets or, um, you know, just straight out saying, hey, we could sure use that guy. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's, um, you know, will they have to institute tampering rules like we have in professional leagues? I don't know. There's 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 obviously a lot of unintended consequences or there will be a lot of unintended consequences to to uh, accompany many of the changes in college sports that we're seeing this year, not just the uh, the transfer uh, eligibility, but um, interesting times to come. No doubt, and this is a this this is a big part of it. This uh, this transfer thing that we have been expecting for uh, for many months to to open up, but now it's uh, now it's official. Yeah, and and really, there's been a lot of unlimited transferring anyway, and, and a yeah. lot of a lot of waivers have been granted. So it's not really that unusual. I hope we don't see a tidal wave of it, but I do think it could be mutually beneficial uh, on on the football field for for programs. Let's take. The, the almost special relationship the Big Ten has with the MAC. And if you're a player... And it's heads, the, minor, it's know, the minor league. It, it somewhat is. It is for coaches. They, they pay each... You know, the Big Ten pays the MAC to play three or four games. You know, well, it seems like every team has one MAC opponent on its schedule every year. Uh, if you are a player who is a two-star and you went and you started for two or three years in the MAC and you're going into your senior year and you feel like you're a first-team All-Mac player, and you're a cornerback. Why wouldn't you want to go play for Phil Parker at Iowa and and take your you know become the next Desmond King slash Micah Hyde, whatever? However, yeah. if if you're the mutually beneficial relationship to this is if you're the third running back at Nebraska or Illinois or Iowa or or Ohio State even, and you're not going to get that opportunity, or you just got passed up in the depth chart, and your clock is limited, you don't have to wait to the end of your career. Because I think usually by that, you know, after your second, you know, in a traditional year, after your second spring, you start to really know where you fit. Your self-awareness comes to light. And uh, if somebody's coming in and they've passed you up, it, it, it's time to move on. And why wait to go play one year when you can have the opportunity to play two or three? So I, I think it's going to end up in football. I think it'll be fine. Basketball, it's a wildfire that's out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, I, I did hear Fred Hoiberg, the Nebraska basketball coach, um, give it his seal of approval this week that he's uh, he's 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 open to uh, every every and any transfer who wants to occur um, being ready to ready to move. And, and of course, Hoiberg, you know, has has tapped that transfer portal um at Nebraska and, and was big into transfers when he was yes. the coach at Iowa State. So, you know, he may be in the minority among basketball coaches who are ready to just open this thing up entirely. But that's a different conversation for yeah, a different right. day. All right. So let's get to uh, let's get to our spring look around the Big Ten. We're going to go through a number of tiers in the league, Scott, that you have devised for us to break up the conference. And of course, it starts with Ohio State at the top. Are we buying or selling Ohio State in its bid to win the league for a fifth straight year? And, and and then how do the Buckeyes, this is the number one question, but how do the Buckeyes go about replacing Justin Fields? I, I think they are still clearly the favorites because every time they've lost a quarterback in the, in the last 10 plus years, frankly, from Terrell Pryor onward, they've been able to replace it almost with a better player. <laughs> you mm -hmm. look at JT Barrett and, uh, and Braxton Miller and 
um, the car, <laughs> the 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 car bomb or whatever uh, that won the the national title, and then you have Cardale, Cardale, Cardale Jones. Yeah, the car bomb. I remember <laughs> you mentioned that uh, recently. Justin Fields, who I think was the most talented of all the group, but you know Dwayne Haskins was in there for a minute, mm-hmm. and and oh by the way, uh, Joe Burrow was pretty good too when he lost that one on one battle with Dwayne Haskins. So you he know, did all right. yeah, he did all right for himself and financially too right now. Uh, C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller are the two candidates right now at, in, in Columbus. You know, initially, there's always that consideration when you're filling out, say, for preseason all Big Ten. You go, yeah, but he hasn't played yet. But then you've realized that neither had all the others, and they all they've done has been the best quarterback in the league every year. So I think they'll reload. They do have a lot of missing pieces. I think they have a really good offensive line. Um, but defensively, they've got some work to do. And and uh, the starting off with Minnesota and Oregon could be challenging for them, but I still think they are the class of the league without question. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I'm buying the Buckeyes as well. I think it'll be interesting this offseason and even getting into 2021 when Kyle McCord, the um, the five-star, uh, begins to get his feet on the ground. He's the quarterback from Philadelphia who uh, is, is an early enrollee, actually, and is in is in spring, is in camp. The Buckeyes have their spring game this weekend. I'm sure there will be a lot of... Uh, a lot of eyes on all of those guys. You know, Stroud is 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 probably the favorite if you're talking about just immediately replacing Justin Fields. I think he's the guy that most people expect to take the first snap next season. But it, it you know if it if it gets just a little bit off track for Ohio State offensively, there's going to be calls for either Miller or McCord. And McCord is the guy with the with the the, the best pedigree as a prospect coming into Columbus. So. I don't know that it's going to be entirely smooth sailing in the same way that we've seen with Justin Fields or we saw with Justin Fields over his time. But I don't. I, I think Ohio State has enough talent around him. Uh, Master Teague, as our colleague Bill Landis uh, noted recently, looks like Mr. Universe uh, in the uh, in the weight room for the Buckeyes. Um, I'd expect that they're that they're training him right to to be a, a superstar running back at Ohio State. So he should take some some of the weight off of Stroud or or whoever the quarterback is. But uh, nonetheless, I believe in in Ryan Day and Ohio State to be able to keep things rolling. Um, I am buying Ohio State. Our next category, we grouped together Wisconsin, Iowa, and Penn State because of the success, of course, that these programs have had in recent years. Penn State took a dip. Wisconsin took a little bit of a dip last season in the pandemic-shortened season. But... 
Um, they are at a similar place, I think, in their progressions as football programs. Which is there? Is there one of these three in particular, Scott, that you either like or dislike more than the other other two? Not really. Um, I, I, they're all coming from different angles, and Iowa had a really good year last year, but they got to replace a lot of players on the defensive line, and they had inconsistent quarterback play. Uh, so I'm not sure that they're. I would say right now maybe they're an inch ahead because they beat both teams by 20 plus points last year, but still uh, they've got a lot of work to do. Um, Wisconsin had a lot of injuries late in the year. They had the COVID issue in the middle. Uh, they didn't get a lot of production from their linebackers like they normally do. I think all of that's going to, they recycle themselves so well. I think they're bound to have a, a bounce back. Graham Mertz was fantastic early in the year and very pedestrian in the end of the year. But a part of that was not having Jalen Berger, Danny Davis, and Kendrick Pryor, you know, towards the end of the year. Penn State is the one that I think has more talent than the other two. Um, they do lose talent, but, you know, like Jason Owe, he might be a first-round pick. He didn't have a sack last year, which blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Shaka Tony was a really good uh, guy. They didn't have Micah Parsons at all. You know, he opted out. And Pat Fryermuth initially opted out and then came back, then opted out again. I think they've got a chance to bounce back. But as far as challenging Ohio State, uh, I would put the Wisconsin-Iowa winner as the best opportunity for that, simply because of style of play. They're more physical. The Buckeyes, you know, replace a lot on a, on a really good defense. And Haskell Garrett's the, maybe the best defender in the league coming back, but still... There's a there, there's a mountain for any of those three programs to climb. Yeah, if if I'm gonna pick one to separate out of this group, uh, it's Penn State, and you know you kind of hinted at that. I I just I feel there's there's some uncertainty there. You know, you look at the quarterback position. Not to make every one of these discussions about the quarterback spot, but it is so important. And um, some some uh, some talk this spring. There was some some hope. I think uh, that Taquan Roberson. Uh, the third-year quarterback in in Happy Valley could could push Sean Clifford, who was benched last year, um, and, and then came back to to reclaim the starting job. And it seems that that's not necessarily happening with Roberson, based on reading between the lines of some some James Franklin comments. And it's Clifford's job, and perhaps that has to do more with the way that Clifford has sp- played this spring than Roberson not stepping up, but you know, no one knows because no one is seeing practice. No one is, no one is, is getting a lot out of state college this spring. So I I just, maybe just because of that, uh, because there is that mystery there and the, the, uh, the specter of Ohio state as the, the ultra talented team in the, in the entire league um, that, that hovers above everyone else. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm buying Penn State as a as a legit challenger to to win the league. The other two, of course, absolutely, they're the class of the of the Big Ten West, Iowa and Wisconsin. So I'm going to buy Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, experience at the quarterback spot for both of those teams is a plus. You know they're going to be strong on defense. You know they're going to get back to playing their style, um, and especially in the case of Wisconsin, which was was obviously taken out of its game last year because of um, the way that its season went. Um, with the challenges related to the pandemic, so I think they'll get back to uh, to what they do well, and it's um, you know that the, the division comes down to that game, to that Wisconsin Iowa game, I, I think. So I'm buying both the the Buckeyes, uh, I'm sorry, the Badgers and the Hawkeyes. Yeah, yeah, and I also think uh, it really could come down to development at quarterback because both 
Graham Mertz uh, and and Spencer Petras had up and down years. Sometimes they looked really good. I mean, Petras ended you know his final two games. He had five touchdowns, no interceptions, which is what uh, Graham Mertz had in his first game against Illinois. So I think there's an opportunity there for growth for probably both of them. And and there is a little bit more of a competition in Iowa, but it's still largely Petrus's job. So I think whoever wins that game, uh, you know, has a really strong, you know, probably the the inside track certainly uh, to to end up in Indianapolis. And then when you get in that winner take all, and they have different styles of play, things can happen, especially against a new quarterback because Justin Fields was tremendous. But you know, Northwestern stifled him last year in that in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah. So I think there's an opportunity there. Penn State may be the most talented of the three, but it, it, it may have the biggest challenge simply because it'll have to play the Buckeyes during the season. Yeah. Speaking of Northwestern, it is in our next category, and we're asking if Indiana and Northwestern are legit um, contenders to repeat as top Big Big Ten teams and top 12 teams nationally is the way um, the way you phrase this one. Yeah, I mean, these were two teams to me that both benefited a great deal from, you know, in, in, the, in the way that Penn State, Michigan, um, some others nationally suffered because uh, Wisconsin suffered because of the pandemic and because of the way the, uh, the season fell for them. Indiana and Northwestern played this thing right. They uh, had the right approach to the offseason. They had some good fortune and didn't have outbreaks within their teams at the wrong time. They had a schedule that worked out for them. In the case of Indiana, it, it had a fortunate open to the season with the way that that, that Penn State game uh, ended for the Hoosiers. I think if that's a loss, it's a different season for Tom Allen and that group, but um, not to uh, not to under um, undersell what, what Michael Penix and, and ever, all of the Hoosiers did. It was great, but I, I think they really got a, a kickstart because of, of the way that that Penn State game went uh, at the beginning of the year. So... Um, I between these two teams, I'm definitely buying Indiana and I'm selling Northwestern. Um, I'll let you get to your reasoning, but for me, Northwestern, the, the, it, it's it's you know there's so much turnover there this year in in Evanston with um, with what what's happening in the off season, and um, this is not normally what Northwestern experiences. Maybe this is the future with the transfers being open in Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald. They're going to have to adjust. Um, but uh, a lot of players on the way out, uh, both via transfer and then just uh, just graduation too. Bringing in a new quarterback, it looks like Ryan Holinsky, the transfer from South Carolina. The big the big loss for, for in my opinion are those linebackers, Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher. They were the heart and soul of that team, and uh, Northwestern will have to replace both of those guys. I, I don't I see this as as a, a down year for the Cats, um, and uh, and I see Indiana as being um, maybe not a top 12 team again, but, but definitely a, uh, you know, a strong uh, East Division uh, contender. And um, as long as, as Penix gets back from that ACL injury, which he should, there's plenty of time, then, then I, I think uh, the Hoosiers are in a good spot. Yeah, I'm naturally reticent to, to ever write off Northwestern again <laughs> because right. every year, every year. When you, yeah. when you, you do know, it, every, they jump up. Yeah, they, they are just – and, and I think every program in the West Division, and then you include uh, Michigan State into that, just pulls their hair out because they're like, "How does this team keep beating us?" You know, their statistics are bad. They they don't really have 
great athletes, but they, yet they continue to beat them. Well, because they have a great coach, that's for sure. And then they have athletes who are there seemingly forever, and sometimes they, they change positions midway through their careers. I'm probably going to sell both on being top 12. Not necessarily. If this was bowl team, I would probably buy both. Uh, Northwestern has so many, um, uh, yeah, so many different um, departures. And as you mentioned on defense, Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher are like four-year guys. Fisher seemingly played there since uh, Fitzgerald played, and now he's gone. He's off to the NFL. And, I think you know, he did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, he was. He was Twenty-five years he's been there. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like it, but uh, Greg Newsom is a, is probably the biggest loss for them. And you know, Rashawn Slater didn't even he opted out last year. But then they had other guys that that are you know Newsom's going to be a first round guy uh, that that are leaving. Um, Ernest Brown, uh, you know, Leota, the the defensive end, he went to the transfer portal. Uh, you know, Peyton Ramsey did a really nice job. Drake Anderson was a good running back. And, you know, and they they're out. Um, they do have two tremendous players in Skronsky, the, the the left tackle, and Brandon Joseph at safety. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be great or anything. I look for them to be a thorn. They're going to beat somebody they shouldn't, like they usually do, but probably in that six seven win range. As for uh, uh, Indiana, I, I I agree with you about a, the benefit of a schedule. They they coincide. They had they pick the absolute right time to be good. Uh, which coincided with Michigan's downfall, Michigan State turning over a new leaf, Penn State not starting real strong. They won their first game against Penn State, you know, by a fraction of an inch. Uh, so they're able to kind of propel that into an, an epic season for them, and they had the right message. They had a really good defense too, and I don't want to minimize that as well as an explosive passing attack. But I wonder how Michael Penix comes back from his ACL. Stevie Scott was a really good running back, and he's gonna, you know be on an NFL roster, uh, you know, they lose one of their great wide receivers and a couple of defenders. So, And their schedule is kind of unforgiving right off the bat. We'll kind of get a, a really good glimpse of them. They go to Iowa City for the opener. Two weeks later, they play Cincinnati, and then the first week of October, they play at Penn State. So in their first five games, they've got three you know, teams that I think could be top 20 to top 15 teams. So we'll know a lot about the Hoosiers. I do think they're a bowl team for sure. They might be an eight-win team, but I'm not going to put them in the top 20. I, I would probably put them third if I was to rank them in the uh, in the uh, East Division. Now we'll get to the really interesting one, <laughs> and that is uh, traditional blue bloods, Michigan and Nebraska, turn around their programs under their legacy coaches, the ones the fans wanted so badly in, in Jim Harbaugh and, and Scott Frost. And what constitutes a successful season for each coach? Yeah, so I, I, that's a, I think it's a great question to be phrased like that because I think there's different answers at both places um, at the, with, within the two schools. For Michigan, a successful season is a return to double-digit wins. I, I, I think that's, that's pretty clear with the way that, that Harbaugh – um, has already had success at this school on a certain level. I know um, for some, uh, success is defined as beating Ohio State when you're at Michigan, and he has not done that. But by normal college football standards, Jim Harbaugh has been a successful coach at, at Michigan before that um, that turd of a season in 2020. Um, but but again, all kinds of challenges that you just don't normally have. And you know, two and four 
Um, the, just this, the, the very nature of going two and four in a football season by itself is, is, is ridiculous. Uh, so I, I'm not buying Michigan's uh, ability in 2021 to do what would constitute a successful season because I think at Michigan, a successful season is more than what it is at Nebraska. Nebraska is so beaten down, so downtrodden right now after four consecutive losing seasons, five in the last six years. I wrote uh, a story the other day, it was just in my mailbag, um, and I was going through looking at some of the uh, class of 2022 prospects in the state of Nebraska who, who are not considering Nebraska, some forced, four different four-star players uh, not considering Nebraska. And you, and you start to examine the reasons for that and see that it, it has been since those players, those, those, those guys were in fourth grade that Nebraska had back-to-back winning seasons without a coach getting fired. So wow. it's, it's, um, that's what I mean by uh, downtrodden. And I think a successful season at Nebraska, in, in contrast to Michigan, would essentially constitute six wins, getting to a bowl game. And I'm more apt to buy that at Nebraska than I am to buy nine or ten wins at Michigan in 2021. So um, I am going to buy Nebraska to get to six wins. I think there's a way with the schedule for the Huskers to get there. And this may not be, this won't be the giant turnaround that Scott Frost experienced in year two at UCF. Um, or even the parallel of what it, whatever that might be in the Big Ten. It's certainly not 13-0, but if it was 11-2, and um, I, I don't think that happens this year uh, with this roster. But I think Nebraska can get to six wins, and, and uh, I, I do believe that um, that would constitute some success because it would mean a bowl game, and Nebraska just needs to get back to that level. Yeah, and, and to kind of feed off of that, Nebraska does, has an unforgiving schedule. And that makes it doubly difficult when you've got, you know, the Oklahoma game, which, of course, caused a, a couple of days worth of angst for everybody in, in that part of the world. <laughs> you would know better than anybody. Uh, and, and Buffalo is not an easy out with Lance Leopold as the head coach. And you've got to play Ohio State. This is the last year of the six-year scrum of playing the Buckeyes. Plus Wisconsin and Iowa, who've been, you know, really kind of own those series. Those are, that's really difficult for Nebraska. So I'm, I think that it's smart to have realistic goals. I think in part, it's not only to have some success and win some games, but it's also to kind of forge an identity and play to that identity and have some success in it. Because I thought in stretches, Adrian Martinez played really well, uh, but the constant attrition and, and lack of continuity. It, you know, among skill position players leaving the program and, uh, you know, and then have a kind of consistent effort because we saw like the Illinois game, which was really a bad effort, I thought, by the by the Huskers. And then the way they played against Iowa, which I thought was a really good effort. I thought they played really hard. So I'd like to see more of that from from Nebraska. And if they get to that six win and, and can get into a bowl game, hey, you know, that's progress. I agree with you there. I don't. I, I know there's a lot of, especially from the state where I live, they there's a lot of chiding over the '90s, but that's that's so far in the rearview mirror. Realistically, it's about progress and getting your way into being a successful program. But you know, Michigan, the most polarizing coach in the country when it comes to statistics is is Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. He's 49 and 22 and 34 and 16 in the Big Ten since he arrived. That's those are great numbers. Those are numbers that. Every coach but one, and maybe two in the Big Ten, would take. Yet, 
he's there for two reasons and two reasons only. Beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten. And if you can't do that, then you're not successful. And those standards will never change, and nor should they, because that's the historical standard that they've set and, and adopted over the years. And they've been close a few times. In 2016, it was a you know kind of an inch, like uh, Michael Penix's stretch last year on whether they beat Ohio State. But hmm. looking at that team last year and the way it played, it was pathetic. It was the worst effort of any team I've seen in the Big Ten in years. Just completely gave up. You know, especially against Wisconsin, and there, and frankly, Michigan was really lucky not to play Ohio State and Iowa to close the year because those would have been probably fifty-point losses. So I want to see. I don't think you could judge their success based on their historical standard. I don't think that's right this year. Although Ohio State's turning over enough to where they, if they had a good team, they could hang there. But you got to see effort. You've got to see performance. They've got opportunity. I just don't think they get there. So um, I do I do buy Nebraska and your tents having a successful season. I think they have that opportunity. But I do sell the, the Wolverines, even if they're 9-3. and three, That's not a successful season in Ann Arbor. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the reality at, 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 uh, at Michigan. And I will say as a postscript in the discussion about Nebraska – that it does all to to me it all comes down to the defense which is a crazy thing to say for a Scott Frost coach team because it's always been about offense going back to his days at Oregon and of course at UCF with Mackenzie Milton they built that program around Mm -hmm. scoring points they didn't care if they gave up 49 Um, it was a successful day because they scored 57 so um, that is not the case for the 2021 Huskers they are they need to be led and uh, guided by this defense, which features five sixth-year seniors um, and another senior in Cam Taylor-Britt, who is um, a returning second-team All-Big Ten corner and I think has a chance to be the kind of player in Lincoln that Scott Frost hasn't had in three seasons, a real leader, you know, who, who is the best guy in the locker room and the best guy on the field at the same time. And, you know, that's what it takes. That's what it takes to be able to hand over the keys of, of your program to the players and say, you know, be self-motivated. You guys go out there and figure out a way that we're going to get this thing done. You've got to have your best players who are also your best leaders. It's a cliche in coaching for sure, but I think it holds up. And I think there's a possibility on the defensive side this year that that is what Nebraska has. And it is making a mistake if it um, plays the same style of up-tempo, fast-paced offense. I'm not saying slow it down. Um, entirely, like w- what we've seen with some other Big Ten teams, um, but it can't it, it can't be breakneck speed. They've got to give their defense a chance to go out and win games for this team. And if that happens, then I do think they can get to a bowl game. So um, we will uh, we will move on to the next category. And, and this one is short for me, short and sweet. The question is: Do we see Minnesota and/or Michigan State challenging for division titles? And I say no. Um, I don't think that's the case with either one of those teams. Uh, I am selling both of them when it comes to uh, comes to that subject for many of the reasons that we've laid out in discussing these these uh, these previous teams. Um, you know, Minnesota does return Tanner Morgan at quarterback. Um, the Gophers have a history of be- being able to produce uh, game breaking wide receivers, and they're young at that at that position group this year. But I don't think that Minnesota has coming off of um, again a season for the Gophers that was broken up. So much, and the Gophers showed showed some some metal down the stretch to go into Lincoln and win on December fifth 
um, speaks as poorly about Nebraska's readiness for that game as it does as strongly for Minnesota's ability just to feel the team that day and and find a way to win. Uh, but uh, so so you know Minnesota is is um, is mentally tough under PJ Fleck, but I don't think it has the horses to uh, to 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 challenge in the West Division this year. And and I feel similarly about uh, Michigan State in. Um, in this uh, this season under Mel Tucker, yeah, I'm I'm definitely selling Michigan State. I they, they were not good. They were very inconsistent. They were as inconsistent as any team last year there ever was. But they gave up 35 points a game. Um, I saw them at their lowest when they lost 49 to seven to Iowa. But then they also uh, beat Northwestern. I think they're capable on a good day of competing with teams. So they're really kind of where they were pre-D'Antonio, which was scary at times, not great, inconsistent. Let's see what they can do to straighten it out. Now that they have a new quarterback, you know, they got a quarterback competition with Anthony Russo and, and Peyton Thorne. So I do think that the Spartans can scare some teams, maybe in their territory, not Ohio State. But, but you know, so as far as being a divisional challenger, no, as far as being a potential bowl team yeah sure i think they could be in that michigan indiana maybe slightly below uh penn state kind of and even with maryland is kind of that gridlock there in the in the east minnesota i'm not i'm kind of hedging on them a little bit but i'm going to say i'm going to sell them on the line that i don't think they're as good as michigan as uh wisconsin or iowa they have Mo Ibrahim. I think he's terrific. I think he might be the best running back in the Big Ten. They're physical up front. They run the football well. Tanner Morgan had an off year last year. Uh, they don't, you know, the, the really the the driver in a lot of cases last two years was two years ago, Tyler Johnson. Last year was Shad Bateman when he was there for, what, a couple of games. But their defense was bad news. It was not good. <laughs> and uh, I so I think they're in that seven-win range. I would put them third in the West. But I'd put them, you know, I'd put them behind Iowa and Wisconsin for sure. Yeah, and, and I don't want to entirely discount Mel Tucker and what he did in year one at, in East Lansing because to come in like Greg Schiano at Rutgers to come in in yeah. that off season and have that be your first go go at it with your with your team um, to be able to have any kind of progress show any kind of progress is a is a feat in itself. And Michigan State did do that at times, not when. Um, the Spartans came to Iowa City, but but there were there were games where Michigan State looked impressive, and and I think they've done a nice job in uh, in in building a foundation from a recruiting standpoint. When the majority of the time that he's been there, they've not been able to have kids on campus or go out and see kids. So credit to to, to Mel Tucker for for doing what he's been able to do in these first months. Uh, but um, I, I, it's it's too 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 tall of a of a hill to climb to expect the, the Spartans to be there this year and challenge for that that division title. Um, with this final category, and we've got four teams grouped here, we're only asking if they're potential bowl teams. So that just means get to six wins. And this is of course Purdue, Illinois, Maryland, and Rutgers. Um, I. Am highest among these four, maybe a surprise, but going through them and getting ready to answer this question, I'm highest on Maryland. Um, you know, I think you could make a case to be lowest on Maryland, but I, I think yeah. Mike, I, I think Mike Loxley has learned from uh, some of the past errors of, of his ways. 
Um, and, you know, while Greg Chiano at Rutgers showed a lot of improvement in, in year one and recruiting has been on track, I, I see a possible step back there. I see Maryland as the team that is working toward building the, building a strong foundation that's doing it right and, you know, has the talent base right there to be able to to build something um, in, in um, the Washington, D.C. area. So I think it can happen this year for Maryland to get to a bowl game. It's a team that through the years – has been puzzling because it can look really good one week and then go the rest of the season and look terrible. Um, some consistency, I think, is on the horizon for the Terps. And of all four of these, I think there's the best opportunity for Maryland to uh, to make it to the postseason. It's too early for me uh, with Brett Bielema at Illinois. Um, I, I see Purdue um, struggling to get out of that downward trend that it has endured for the last three years. And as I said, I think Rutgers takes a takes a bit of a step back before eventually um, moving forward. I, I do think that Greg Schiano is the guy to move them uh, to back to the postseason, but but uh, not here in year two. I think I, I'm really kind of I, I'm not going to sell any of them, and I'm not going to buy any of them, and I and I don't really want to hedge this line, but I'm probably am. I think Rutgers is probably the one that I would probably say. Maybe has the best chance of all. Part of it's schedule based. Uh, you know, they they open with Temple at home. They go to Syracuse, and then they have Delaware. They have a chance to really start three and zero. They played so well. I thought, even though last year, um, you know, a really interesting game to me was that finale with uh, Nebraska because I really wanted to kind of gauge the progress of both programs. I thought it did in both ways, and and not that Nebraska won or, or the Rutgers lost, but you saw what Rutgers was trying to do. It wasn't good enough, but it was working in what they wanted to do. And Nebraska was able to overwhelm a team that it really should, that was actually fairly disciplined. So I like the way the Rutgers is put together. Um, so I would probably nudge them first out of the group. Maryland, I'm I'm right with you because they were really exciting last year in beating you know Minnesota in this up-and-down game as badly as they played against Northwestern. They came back and they beat you know Minnesota in this up-and-down game, beat Penn State. Um, Loxley is as good a recruiter as there is in the league, maybe in the country. Uh, when he was at Illinois for Ron Zook, he just brought in – he brought in a Rose Bowl team. Now, they didn't coach it anywhere, but they did. Um, this year, they – you know, they, st- they have a similar type schedule in some ways. West Virginia might be a challenge right out of the gate, but with baby Tua at quarterback, he's exciting. I like what he brings. Purdue <laughs> is the ultimate wild card because you know, I've seen in person how Jeff Brom can coach a team to victory uh, several times. David Bell is as good of any receiver. George Karloftis yep. is as good as any pass rusher. Um, they have a high tempo. They lost. They've lost a few guys to the NFL this year that are going to really leave a mark. Um, Illinois, Bielema is going to bring a style and a personality that's going to be beatable for better teams. But if you're not ready for them, they're going to punch you in the mouth. And I do think that Illinois has always been kind of the, you know, not a sleeping giant, but certainly a sleeping troll in the Big Ten West and has the opportunity being the flagship institution of, of a populated state like that to actually go into Chicago and grab five good guys and then three or four downstate and be successful. I just don't think this will be the year for, for him. But I am intrigued with week zero game. 
unfortunately for you, you're not flying to, to Ireland. You're going to have to fly to uh, you know, probably midway and drive down, right? Yeah, I'm okay with the uh, postponement of the Ireland game for a year or two. I don't know that it would be the best year to uh, to visit Europe, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was tough to have to uh, to scratch that one off the schedule. August 28th, Brett Bielema in the opener in Champaign against Nebraska. It will be a um, an exciting day for sure for both of those programs, but especially for for Illinois to to open up and have a chance to uh, to beat a team that. Um, you know, hasn't necessarily performed or definitely hasn't performed the way that uh, the expectations, um, you know, the, 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 way, the way that the way that people have expected. So um, that's, that, that game is, um, you know, it's ripe for uh, for Illinois to get off on the right foot. And, and that would really set Nebraska back to uh, to not win that one. But I think the verdict on on these final four teams as potential bowl teams in the Big Ten is that we really don't know right now. It's tough. It's tough when you look, when you start to break things down with these four teams. And, and um, I, I could see any of them going going either way, but I'm, I'm going to stick with my pick of, of Maryland, you know, which had four games canceled last season. Um, I believe that was the most in the in the league, just two and three for the for the Terps in 2020. But um, I see I see bright things ahead. So. That is going to do it for this uh, episode of the Big Football Show. Please continue to listen to our podcasts through the offseason. We will be back after spring football to review. And as we get into the summer, get into more developments, please subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Review the show. Give us a five-star rating. And, of course, subscribe to The Athletic for coverage from all of us and much more. Thanks for listening.